Hello, everyone. Welcome to EMGR Chat with Kurt and Michelle. I'm Dr. Curtis Roundson. And I am Dr. Michelle Gottlieb. So one of the questions we often get asked, for those of you who are already trained, for those of you who are not already trained, this will be a teaser for you, things to look forward to. For those of you who are already trained, people ask about cognitive interweaves. Mm -hmm. um, it's often something that's confusing, not done properly, not done appropriately. And did I say confusing? And sometimes it's not even cognitive. Right? Yeah. And I know that uh, Dr. Francine Shapiro always called them cognitive, even if they were, say, somatic. Right. Right. There were a strategy she developed for a proactive strategy for working with difficult clients or difficult situations in a session where there was no movement in particular. Right. And so that is when we want to use a cognitive interweave. I want everyone to remember our basic is still, as I say, shut up and stay out of the way. Um, let our brain, let our clients' brains go where they need to go to heal and for us to trust that. But sometimes we have issues. There's problems. People get stuck or are looping. They keep, they're not, there's no movement down the track. And, and in the basic trainings, you know, we tell you initially before we teach cognitive interweave that there are some other things you can do in that situation, such as changing modalities or from uh, eye movements to sound or tapping or changing the directions of the eye movements and or focusing on one part of a target or more parts of the target, those kinds of things uh, we always suggest you do first before you jump into cognitive interweave. However, there is need to jump into cognitive interweave. And actually, I'm glad you said that because um, I had someone ask me, a trainer actually, asked me the other day, why don't we teach, teach cognitive interweaves in part one, that first basic training? And I said, the reason we don't do it is the same reason, like if I'm teaching basic counseling skills in uh, grad school, we don't let them ask questions. You know, we're just doing feelings reflections and, and process reflections, no questions, because if we let our students start asking questions too soon, that's all they'll do. The same thing with this. If we teach cognitive interweave too soon, they'll just do that all day long and not not be trusting the process to stay out of the way of. Exactly. You know, most of our uh, trainees come out of talk therapy background. And so one of the reasons we also don't do it is because we want them to, as you say, trust the process and realize that EMDR therapy really is a non-talk therapy. It's a brain therapy. And uh, our old paradigms or old ways many times get in the way of learning to trust the brain's a healing organ. And so that's why we don't teach it until later on. So now let's define the term. Kurt, what would you say? You said that uh, Francine called it a strategy that she developed, but yeah. how would you define a cognitive interweave? Well, let's, let's talk about the two general categories of cognitive interweaves and why you might need one. How about that? It sounds good to me. Yeah. It, uh, there are two general categories of cognitive interweave. And remember, in EMDR therapy, we often use the metaphor of like the patient is simply sitting on a train and watching the scenery go by. And that scenery is the movement of their brain. That's why they don't need to comment on every single frame, a picture that changes. And people say, what do you mean scenery? Well, in the basic protocol, we break a memory down into its component parts. Often the images or whatever senses they have, smell, taste, 
the, the negative irrational belief about themselves based upon the trauma memory that we're processing, the emotions, and where they feel it in their body. And so the scenery going by is they're sitting there mindfully watching their brain. And if the brain is moving, the images may change. The beliefs may change. The emotions may change. The sensations may move about their body. That's movement. And as long as that's happening, we just keep them on the train. We just say, go with that. Go with that. What comes up? Go with that. And when all of a sudden something stops, either there's no scenery changing at all, nothing is moving, the picture stays the same, the belief, the emotions, where it's located in the body stays the same, and often at some level of, of arousal, high level of arousal, then we need something to jumpstart this spontaneous processing. So think of the train going down the track, and there's one time that there's a, a tree over the track. The train can't go past that. And so a cognitive interweave can be used to kind of push that tree off the track to allow the train to continue to move. That's the processing to continue to happen. Sometimes there is no track. There's a lack of track. So the train can't go down the track. And that's usually like lack of information that they should know, but they don't know because of when the trauma occurred. So cognitive interweaves were to develop to push the trunk off the track or to lay down tracks so that reprocessing can continue. How about that? That sounds good. Now I'm going to give you an example of each of those two. Um, the first one where the information is there, the adaptive memory network is there, but it's not connecting, right? So the track's there, but they just can't find it. There's something, there's a block. The track, the log is over the track. And that a great example of that is if you have um, a client who was an, a, a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, and she's stuck with, it's my fault, it's my fault, it's my fault. We've all had clients totally own that this, this is mine, all mine, all the time. And if you say something, like a cognitive interweave, such as, if this had happened to your daughter, would it be her fault? And she says, hell no. Right. The, the information is there. That adaptive memory network is there. Of course, it's not a child's fault. It's an, always the adult's responsibility. The child is innocent. The track is there. I talk about the it, log. you know, like, like a lasso. We're lassoing the adaptive memory network and pulling it into that childlike place of the maladaptive linked memory to connect them. They have the information. They just haven't been able to connect it because of their developmental age at the time of the trauma. Right. And then whether there is no track, this is where there's missing information. So going back to um, an a, adult survivor of childhood sexual abuse, if, there, the, if the perpetrator was someone who was, forgive the term, more of a seducer as opposed to a torturer, it felt good, physically felt good to the body. And so kids get confused by this. And the perpetrator, of course, helps with the confusion of saying, see, you must have wanted this because it feels good. And the answer to that is no. No, they never wanted it. It's because you touch a body a certain way, it feels good. That does not mean you wanted it or you're in charge of it or you seduced him or whatever. So that's the track wasn't even laid. And once we give that to them and say, go with that. Right. Then they can start going down the track again. Yeah, and this ties into the kind of the four areas that we often talk about, cognitive interweaves being helpful. We've already talked about two of them. First is the looping piece. That's where the scenery doesn't change. And after successive uh, bilaterals, there's really no movement. Then a cognitive interweave can be introduced. Insufficient 
information, what you just said, um, not knowing that's how the body's made. And we also can use it when there's a lack of generalization. That is, you're able to desensitize a single target, but it's really not generalizing to others, sometimes because there's so many. We often see that in complex PTSD. And then the time pressure. The reprocessing is going well, but you're out of time. And you have to see your next patient, so you have to close them out. So sometimes then a cognitive interweave can be very helpful to bring some closure to an uh, incomplete target memory at the end of a session. So let's say one thing for sure that a cognitive interweave is not. You know, you're listening to your client and you come up with a brilliant, I mean, absolutely brilliant insight that you really want to share with them. No, no, don't. Mm-mm. It cognitive interweave is only if they get stuck, not because of your brilliance. Yeah. I might, you know, you've heard us say a lot of times, if you've been through one of our trainings, that at the end of our training, you will realize that you are the least important person in the room, therapist. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the things, you know, for people who are, who are recently trained, they may not have the experience yet that Kurt, you and I have, and so many people have of just being in awe of the healing capability of a person's brain. And so to trust that, trust the process and stay out of the way. And, you know, this also goes back to something we said at the very beginning of this and why cognitive interweave is taught a little later on is because because we, the cognitive interweave is a therapist-generated comment, um, and where EMDR as whole is all client-based, brain-centered. And so to newly trained people, uh, one of the things that happens is because the therapist is introducing a cognitive interweave, if it, like you said, if your daughter had been molested, it would have been her fault, uh, as an opportunity to enter into their old paradigm of talk therapy. So it takes discipline in doing EMDR uh, cognitive interviews because the temptation then is to explore it. It's to go after it and talk more about it. And all we want to do is pose that question and say, follow my fingertips or make the comment, follow my fingertips. We may not even wait for their response. Right, Michelle? Most of the time I don't. No. I'll say, okay, I'm going to ask you a question and follow my fingers. And That's at right. the end, they may answer the question or they may have gone someplace else and that's fine. The train's moving. I'm happy. Yep. The scenery's changing again. Mm-hmm. So another thing that a cognitive interweave is not, it is not stopping and, as Kurt just said, exploring. It is not a long conversation. It is simply a short statement or question, which that can be difficult sometimes as well. Right. Uh, and because that's when our own paradigms get in the way, and we think we have to get insight, we have to make connections for our patients. And the real brilliance of EMDR therapy is that the brain does that for us, and sometimes it does it so much more elegantly than my you know, my wise, ins- uh, insightful <laughs> comments, right? Right. In fact, when I was thinking about the topics of us, of what we were going to talk about with clinical, uh, clinical cognitive interweaves, um, one of the things I wrote down is not trying to get them to where you think they should go. <laughs> right? That's right, yeah. Like, oh, I know. I know exactly what healing is going to look like for this person. Well, number one, I, well, actually, a long time ago when I first started, I used to make bets to myself. I didn't share with my clients about where I thought they would end up. I was always wrong. And theirs was so much more elegant, so much more. I remember early on with one of my very first EMDR clients that – I was still struggling with my old paradigm versus the new AIP, Adaptive Information Processing Paradigm. 
And I took an entire session trying to get this woman to a particular place. And at the end of the session, she was somewhat okay with where I got her. <laughs> uh, in the next session, I, I shut up and was doing bilaterals. And within five minutes, her brain took her to a much more elegant, complete uh, point An of adaptive. view. Adaptive point of view. And I sat there moving my fingers going, I just wasted a whole session last time. <laughs> right? I know. hate to admit it, but yeah. yeah. Okay. So one of the things I often have consultees ask me is, I don't know what to say in a cognitive interweave. And mm. a couple of things I want to say about that. One is... Again, go back to your days when you first learned to be a therapist and you first started doing feelings reflections and you probably asked your professor, what if I say the wrong feeling? And your professor said, no worries, mm -hmm. right? Same thing. You say a cognitive interweave and it's the wrong one. It falls flat. Whatever. Just, you know, do another one. It's not a big deal. That's right. EMGR is a robust methodology. Yep. Screwed yeah. up nine ways to Sunday and they still get better. And, you know, the other thing is that, you know, we talk about cognitive interweaves, much like negative and positive cognitions, fall into those three th clinical themes, or what Francine called informational plateaus. <laughs> Responsibilities, you know, I'm responsible, I'm defective, or I should have done something different. Um, the idea of safety, I, I'm not safe now in the present. I may not have been safe as a child, but I am pretty much safe now, but I carry that belief with me. And the other area where cognitive interweaves are often necessary is the idea of choice and control. Uh, when I had no control as a child, I now do have control, but sometimes I can't really understand that because I'm still thinking about it as that little child who had been hurt or molested. Those three areas cognitive interweaves often fall in. So when you're sitting with your client not knowing what to say, mm -hmm. stop for a minute and think, what clinical theme are they in? Where, where have they been stuck at? And use that to help you, to help inform you of what you might say. And you know, there's one other thing that um, is not really talked about in our textbook, but it's, it's the cultural piece, Michelle. Oh, you so know, important. You, you, you talk about that because you have a pretty good handle on that. You know, when you're talking with your clients, and I know you know this, but I want you to really think about it from... Um, uh, the AIP in the middle of stuck processing perspective, you want to make sure that what you're saying is clinically appropriate. Um, if a, a silly example, but uh, telling one, I'm Jewish. And if someone said to me, and I'm the client and they're using cognitive interweave, and they said, well, like, remember how excited you were on Christmas morning? Yeah, that ain't going to work for me. <laughs> so, Think about your client. Be you know, be aware of where they are with whether it's their sexuality or their heritage or their religion or their size or whatever it is that it's appropriate for your clients. That is so important. And if you are dealing with a marginalized community, being aware that some of if you are not part of a marginalized community, to be aware that your way of looking at the world is not the way a marginalized community's person's way of looking the world is. So you may have to stretch yourself a bit. And, you know, it's, it's, we've discussed uh, with um, negative positive cognition that, you know, Francine, as we, I am, I'm, I'm a westernized uh, American, and I tend to think from the position of I, you know, right. you know, I, me. 
And uh, there are other cultures in this world, many other cultures, where the real meaning of that is from the idea from the community, how the community sees me. I'm part of a whole, a family or a, or a culture. And sometimes the cognitive interweeds will involve, you know, I would say, what would your group think or how would your culture deal with this? You know, mm-hmm. being aware of that difference of, of worldview. Which leads me to my next real important thing that I want everyone to think about. Something else that I have had people ask, and I'm sure, Kurt, you have too. Is there a list of like standard cognitive interweaves, you know, your go-tos that you always do? And my answer is always no. No. Because it needs to be idiosyncratic to the person. So not only culturally, but in that moment. What does that person sitting across from me in that moment, at that stuck point, what do they need? I do not pull up my list of my standard cognitive interweaves of, oh, I will use 1B today. No. What is What does this client need? And, you know, even in Francine's textbook, she has a list of uh, uh, various negative and positive cognitions uh, uh, in the categories, responsibility, safety, choice, and control. And it's listed, and in the beginning, you know, therapists will look at that list. But I can tell you that it's always more fruitful if you learn some of the, what we call the, the, the techniques of cognitive interweaves. You know, when someone says something like, uh, I, I was an abused child. Well, remember, in a negative cognition, that may, be, that may have been true when they were a child. They were. That's not going to change. And we ask, and we ask them, what might that say about you as a person? if you were an abused child. And cognitive interweaves have to, when when they come up with, oh, I was not important, I was defective, that's irrational. I was abused was true. Irrational is I'm defective. And a lot of times cognitive interweaves, when you do that kind of thing and it comes up with them spontaneously, it's more deeper, it's more powerful, and it often moves the train much more closer when it's individually focus not just from the list of the shit shit (laughs) the list what were you trying to say the list of cognitive interviews that's easy for you to say wasn't it okay but what we're all what we're leading you to hopefully is kind of like when you first learned emdr therapy it was all very black and white you do it this way always never stray from this at all and then after you've been doing EMDR therapy for a while, still sticking to standard protocol, but you begin to learn the art mm-hmm. of this therapy. And the same thing with cognitive interweaves. There is an art to cognitive interweaves. And what I want to say is keep using them, keep practicing, consult with someone if you need to, but they're useful, they're important when they're needed. Exactly. And I do want to remind you that, um, first off, we appreciate your listening, and there is a discount code that we'll put in the little description of 10% off any of our um, advanced trainings. And um, we're taping this, by the way, in July of 2023. I don't know when you're going to listen to it, but in August of 2023 is the MDREA conference. And I hope that you go and I hope you stop by and say hi to us because we'll have a booth and we really look forward to meeting all of you. We'd love to see you. Thank you all. Talk to you soon. Thank you.